Um, you know, at my age, you gain a little bit of perspective and context. I, I have learned that when I wake up in the morning and I, I uh, ask uh, Alexa what the temperature is outside and it responds by saying 26 degrees, um, I need a little perspective. So what I do when, when I get that kind of answer from Alexa in the morning is that I check the weather where I came from to Texas 29 years ago, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It was minus five. Ooh, that felt good. 26 is great in perspective, right? It's all a matter of perspective. Um, I don't miss shoveling snow. Uh, I don't miss snow plows. I, I don't miss any of that. It took me 10 years to thaw out, but I'm Texan now. Praise God. You know, uh, when I think of perspective too, uh, there's a passage of scripture that I go to quite often for perspective. Um, it's in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to go there in just a moment. But when you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, you, you soon realize whatever life hurls at you, uh, having perspective can change the whole way in which you address what life hurls at you. And if there are one gift I could give you this New Year's, it would be the gift of hope. Uh, over the last few years, as we have been... Um, messing with COVID and, and all the other various things going on, this variation and that variation, and, and people's fears running amok, I, I've often felt that it was necessary to come to something that would ground me, that would help me gain perspective, that would help me just enter deeply into the heart of God and His perspective on how I live life. I found First Peter to be just such a place. You know, Peter was an interesting character. Yeah, he was very quick to speak his mind. Uh, I, I feel like he could have used uh, a quote that I heard many years ago that, that went, if you keep giving people a piece of your mind, you're soon going to be empty-headed. And uh, I, I feel like Peter sometimes came up on the short end of things because he kept speaking his mind even when uh, it you know, it wasn't in context and really was missing the point. And Jesus had to rein him in a few times. And of course, Jesus told him one day that you're going to deny me three times. And Peter said, no way. That's not me. I, I'm all on your side, Jesus. Uh, those kind of responses are not going to come from this heart until the day of Jesus' arrest. And suddenly he was found in a position and a place where the words from his lips not only were denying Christ, but cursing the very thought that he had any relationship with God. Three years he had spent walking with Jesus. And now it tells us that in response to that moment, he went away and wept. He probably thought life had ended at that juncture. 
He was ready to go back to fishing. That was what he knew. That's what felt comfortable. Jesus had called him and said, I want to make you a fisher of men. His response to that was, well, okay, fishing for men didn't work too well for me. I'm going to go back to fishing for fish. And so he did. Took a few disciples along with him. The very same ones who had followed Jesus initially and responded to that invitation to fish for the hearts of men. Until one day in his boat, he looked toward the shore and there he saw something that, that quickened his heart. He saw Jesus. Jesus had died on a cross and to see Jesus in that moment just kind of changed his whole perspective. Uh, scripture kind of tells us that Peter jumps out of the boat and, you know, heads for the shore as fast as he can. I don't know if he was walking on water or whether he was just treading, but he was moving. And he got to the shore and Jesus met him there and Jesus had breakfast with his disciples and then Jesus pulled him aside and specifically addressed the very denials of his heart by saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? One time for every denial. And when Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And responded, Jesus responded to him, then he says, then go feed my sheep. Don't be fishing. Don't go back to what's familiar. Don't quit on it now, Peter. Step into the fullness of what you were created for. Step into the fullness of what I have designed you for Fish for men. Feed my sheep. This was his call. Years later, we find Peter writing this epistle. And the very hope that infused his heart in that moment, that changed the direction of his life in that moment, that began to transform what God was doing in his life in this newness of having encountered Jesus risen allowed him to write these words to a people who were in absolute chaos. You see, this letter begins as to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's a little word in there that, that kind of keys us in to the whole focus of this letter. Dispersion. <laughs> you see, what had happened is that when the gospel began to penetrate and change people's lives in Jerusalem, by the very nature of it, there was, there was conflict. There was struggle. They were alienated. They could no longer live in Jerusalem. It'd be like somebody coming into Austin and say, all Christians have to get out of Travis County. By the way, I, I've, I've moved to a little county south of us here. It's great. <laughs> uh, just in case that ever comes up, okay? But I, I just want you to know that they were dispersed. They were moved away from everything familiar. They were moved away from their jobs, from their families, from whatever was important to them. 
And in the chaos of the move and the displacement, Peter speaks a word of hope. Peter says, I want you to know wherever you find yourself, in whatever conditions you find yourself, whatever place you find yourself, remember this, God is still the God of hope. And he will remain so. Many years ago, I was um, uh, a young man in grade school, and that was many years ago. I, I, I was doing what we always did when we went on a vacation at Christmas time. I was lined up like logs in the back of my, my uh, parents' station wagon next to my brothers and sisters, sleeping in the back of the station wagon. No seatbelts. We survived. Don't know how, but we did. But we were on the way from Tennessee to Pennsylvania. And in that journey, we ran into some incredible hard snowfalls, blizzard conditions. But my father was determined we're going to make it. And we got to Pennsylvania. It was dark. We were going to be arriving much later than what my grandparents had anticipated. And we were going through a place on the interstate called Hazleton Mountain in northeast Pennsylvania. And as we made our way through there, we suddenly came to a full stop. For snowdrifts had covered the road. And we were snowed in for the night. We had no idea how long we would be there. I, I just remember how desperate that situation felt. We're sitting there and the snow just keeps piling up and piling up and piling up. And uh, it wasn't very long. My father got out of the car. He went to the neighboring cars and we ended up with 13 people stuffed in our Plymouth station wagon. We were warm. Just because of the body heat. We made some new friends that we'd never met before. But as the night went on, we were beginning to wonder how long we would be in such a place, helpless. When my father saw the headlights of the snowplow coming down the other side of the interstate, he got out of the car and I saw him go into the blizzard and vanish. Hope was something I desperately needed in that moment. Hope was something that my heart desperately needed as a young boy. I didn't know if my father would make it back. Quite a bit of time passed, and my mom kept singing songs to keep us uh, alive and, and feeling good, and suddenly my dad appeared again out of the blizzard, got in the car, said he had been able to, to talk to the men on the snowplow, and they would be around as soon as they could exit and come back on our side to help free us from that situation. It was the middle of the night when we got out and followed, that, got our car freed and followed the snowplow up the nearest exit to safety. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, Proverbs says. If we do not have hope, if we do not have hope, we can be sick, literally, internally. 
hope is essential. In fact, Paul tells us in the writing of 1 Corinthians that uh, there are three things that endure, three things that last, and it's faith, hope, and love. These three things endure. These three things are tied to eternity, to eternal things. They are the things that keep us going when all around us is going crazy. I have no idea what 2022 holds for you or for me. But I do know this, I'm going to be surprised. (laughs) It's not going to be as I have it all planned out. My wife and I will sit down this next week and we will schedule out the things we want to do this year and and the goals that we want to arrive at and and we'll, we'll kind of set that all out. But I can't remember ever doing that and having it come exactly the way we planned it. It just doesn't. But what Paul, Peter is teaching these people that are dispersed, that are in the midst of just trying to make a big, huge adjustment in life, is that that hope is not only essential, hope needs to be properly placed. Now, I, I, I can wish for things. I can hope that certain things will happen. But I need to tie my hopes to that which lasts, to that which is eternal. Paul also, in one another of my favorite passages of Scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, speaks of us putting our, our, our focus on the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporal, because the things that are temporal will pass away. And the things that are eternal are God's Word, are His truth, are His character, are the gifts that come as the result of knowing our Savior. Follow with me as I read verses 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the testing genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you, have not seen, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You see, hope is anchored in the past because Jesus rose Hope remains in the present because Jesus lives. And hope is completed in the future when Jesus comes again. This is the anchor of our hope. This is the basis of our hope as followers of Jesus. When I look at this passage of Scripture, I'm reminded that we have 
so much tied to this hope that we share in Christ. He first of all tells us that we begin in, in this journey with God and into the unknown, into the unexpected of 2022 or of, in their case, A.D. 34 or 35 or 37, whatever it was. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our relationship in that moment is tied to our willingness to look to him as the focus, as the one who is worthy alone of our blessing, worthy alone of our praise. Uh, the, the worship team this morning didn't know what I was preaching. This is what we call a one-off. <laughs> but I don't think their song could have been any more fitting. And we talk about my living hope. Jesus Christ, my living hope. We have a living hope. What does that mean? That means it's, it's, it's not a hope that is kind of temporary, that, that's here today, gone tomorrow. I, I feel good about it today, and if I feel good, it's, I can hope. If I, if I don't feel good, it's gone. I have a living, vital, moving, active hope. It is a hope that nothing, no matter how difficult on this earth, can have the final say regarding. As someone once said, who can mind the journey when the road leads us home? We need to remind ourselves that it is simply the rough journey that is leading us to the right destination. It's a living, vital active hope within us. What is it tied to? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, if, if we are to understand anything, it is this. Because Jesus died and Jesus rose again, life has changed forever. I can imagine Peter at this moment, speaking of the resurrection, seeing Jesus on the shoreline and, and remembering that moment when Jesus met him in his resurrected body and told him, feed my sheep, get on with the kingdom business, do what I've called you to do. Don't hesitate. Don't give up. There's yet a tomorrow because I am risen. Jesus, alive. This is the focus of your hope. If we had a dead Savior, then, then as Paul says, we'd be of all men miserable. He said there'd be no reason for us to have faith. There'd be no reason for us to go on in, in our relationship with God. If Jesus is not risen, but he is. He is. He is risen from the dead. Amen? This is the basis of our hope. He says that this hope, this living hope that has been so vital in our lives and is the focus of our hope, he says this has given us also a permanent inheritance. A permanent inheritance. Nothing can destroy it. Nothing can defile it. Nothing can diminish it. Nothing can displace it. In his own words, he says, it is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept for you. 
Um, there was a moment in my life uh, some years ago uh, where God was kind of bringing me to the end of my lack of faith <laughs> and, and forcing me to just totally throw myself upon him. I was in transition from pastoring a church to re, re completing my, my seminary education, which I'd kind of put on hold. And I'd finally been convinced of the fact that, that this was a step I needed to take. It meant moving my wife and my three kids halfway across the country to attend seminary where I didn't know if I had a job or not. God was more than sufficient for that moment. God provided all we needed. But in that transition, I remember very distinctly one day, we thought we had had our house sold and we were all set to move and the deal fell through. And I had this house payment to make and I no longer had a job. And I was working three different part-time jobs. And as I was doing this in a temporary situation, I, I, I literally came to the end of my bank account. And the day that I realized I didn't have the money to pay my next month's uh, house payment, and I said to God, you know, God, this is, you've told me this is what you want me to do. This is what we, you have called me to do, and, and this preparation is necessary for that. Uh, Lord, I, I, I'm stepping out in faith and doing this. Uh, Lord, I, I, I need you to show up here. And I decided to fix a fan in our master bedroom and, and went up through the hole into the attic to do it, and it was the middle of July. And it was hot. And I got overheated. And I decided that our ceiling needed another hole. And I fell through. And I found myself laying in the bed that evening, thinking to myself, God, what else can go wrong? I gave all my arguments, and I laid there, and I just simply said, God, <laughs> this is where you've got to show up. I trust in you. Six o'clock the next morning, there was a knock on our door. My father, unbeknownst to me, had decided to drive from Tennessee to Ohio, where we were living at the time, to deliver something that, that he had no idea that we needed at that moment. It was an inheritance check from my grandmother. And that inheritance check carried us through until the time when our house sold and we moved on and did exactly what God had called us to do. Inheritance can make a whole lot of difference. And inheritance is something that's unexpected. You don't know whether you're going to get it or not. You've seen those signs on the, on the bumpers, I'm going to spend all my inheritance so my kids get nothing. You know, that's, that's the, some attitudes of some people. But inheritance, God says, he has an inheritance for you, his child, that nothing can ever diminish, destroy, take away. It is indestructible, and it's laid up in heaven for you. He's done it. You didn't earn it. You can't get it. 
unless he gives it. But he declares that this is yours, and it's yours forever. When I go through a tough moment to understand that life eternal is God's gift to me, allows me to work through that difficult moment because nothing can take me out of his hand. I am his. As the old hymn says, he is mine. And nothing can change that. We have a living hope. We have a permanent inheritance. But then in verse 5 we read, we have divine protection who by God's power are being guarded through faith. You may say to me, and, and I've heard this many times in a counseling session in my office, uh, you, you know, I felt God was going to keep me safe, that, that nothing would happen to me. God's guarding is to protect us from ourselves in most cases and our stupid decisions. But God's guarding goes beyond that. It's his protection that brings us to the eternal end that he has designed for us. And what happens to us along the way is what prepares us and puts us in a position to better appreciate and enjoy fully all that he has given us. He guards my way. And he won't give up on me. God will always, always cover my back. Scripture says he will never leave us nor forsake us. I read this the other day and I, I, I don't even know who wrote it, but I, I like the way that he, he stated it. He said the most efficient security system possible is to accept the mystery of hardship, suffering, misfortune, or mistreatment. Don't try to understand it or explain it. Trust God to protect you by his power from this very moment to the dawn of eternity. We need that word. We need that word desperately. Faith is not something we achieve. Faith is trusting in God's achievement for us. His willingness to give his son to die on the cross for you and for me. We have a living hope. We have a permanent inheritance. We have a divine protection. And we have a developing faith. Now this is the part where it gets a little, little tiresome for us. A little troublesome perhaps. We don't like, how many of you like trials? Not, not one of you? I thought I'd at least get one out of the crowd, you know, somebody that would say, hey, look, I love that. He makes it very clear here that in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. <laughs> He's at least honest. He says, trials grieve us. Trials can bring us down. Trials can kind of get us a little, dis uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm going back to one of my mom's favorite words, discombobulated. Whatever that means. It gets us out of sorts. It's the unplanned things. The things that we're not going to put down on our list for 2022. It's the unexpected. The mystery 
of what God is doing in your life and in mine. And what God is doing is allowing these trials in our life for a purpose. It says, so that the testing of your genuous, so that the testing of the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Some years ago, uh, when I first began ministry, I was bivocational. Now, what that means is that I work at the church 40 hours a week, and I also work at something else to pay the bills. <laughs> uh, in this case, I worked in a steel mill in Detroit. And uh, I had the privilege of working in the foundry in this particular steel mill. And, and as a young 20-something, I, I would spend my days in the hot uh, foundry area where they would melt all of the metals, uh, mix the metals in the, in the proper consistencies that they needed to, and I learned very early on that one of the part of the, a very serious part of the process was throwing un, uh, unusual elements into the fire, into the melted metal that were, might be considered uh, not necessary to the process if you're just looking at them, but those elements would pull out all the impurities out of the metal and make it purer. And then the person who was melting this metal would skim off all of the impurities. And he would keep doing that until there were no impurities to be skimmed off. And if he didn't remove the impurities, it would be extremely dangerous for those who would handle that metal on down the line. Because it would cause pockets in the metal that would explode as they were working with it. He had a very serious job, a very important job, and it was to remove the impurities so that it would be refined for its intended purpose. I, I really didn't think much about it until someone pointed out to me what that particular metal we were working with was used for. It was necessary for every appliance in America. It was electrical resistance wire. It was responsible for the core of your spark plugs in your car. It was responsible to, uh, to get anything electric to properly work because it was the conducive, uh, conductive metal that would make that electricity move throughout the appliance. Your washer, your dryer, your toaster, your, your hair blower. And all of a sudden it became very important. <laughs> All of a sudden, I realized that, you know, this, this is essential. This is important. You have to remove the impurities. And what God does in the fire of trial is remove the impurities in our lives so that we can be more valuable, beneficial, and less dangerous to the world who desperately needs a Savior. This is his gift to us, a developing faith. He says our trials are necessary. He tells us also that not only are these trials necessary, but he tells us that they will result in praise and glory and honor to the revelation of Jesus. 
this, these trials are the very thing that makes our faith complete. Scripture tells us also here that we have an unseen Savior in verse 8. Why is that important in the midst of a chaotic moment, in a moment when we desperately need hope? Because he's standing by us in the furnace. You may not see him, but you love him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. He is the one present with us. And in that, we greatly rejoice. John chapter 20 and verse 29, Jesus says regarding Thomas, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. He calls us in that moment to look and to know that he is present in that trial. But finally, he says, we have a guaranteed deliverance. In verse 9, he says, obtaining the outcome of your, of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Only Christ's salvation can turn us from spectators into participants. Only Christ's salvation is, is, allows us to partake in the unfolding drama of God's redemption in our lives. And all these things serve as, as the elements that draw us in our attentions to have our hope well-grounded in the eternal God and not in our circumstances. Whatever 2022 brings your way, this much I can tell you. Hope is one thing you need in your quiver. <laughs> hope is something that you desperately need to carry with you. And when you hit that moment this year, when the unexpected happens, that's the moment you need to enter into the Word of God. Read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 8, and remind yourself of all he has provided for you in Christ Jesus. And recognize the path that he's leading you through. You aren't finished yet. You're still on the journey. And however rough it gets, it's still leading home. There's a uh, quote I came across from a very well-known uh, theologian, a guy by the name of John Calvin, who states it this way, we should ask God to increase our hope when it is small, awaken it when it is dormant, confirm it when it is wavering, strengthen it when it is weak, and raise it up when it is overthrown. Some years ago, a good friend of mine, um, dying from cancer, and ultimately uh, finished that journey home, wrote this in response to the story of Abraham and Isaac and the Mount of the Lord. person wrote, this journey to my mount of the Lord is long. It is fearsome. It is bewildering. I can think of many reasons for why I could or should turn and run back. Satan cheers my every fear and doubt, and when I turn to resist him, 
I recognize him for what he really is, deceiving and devouring. So I must walk on to this place of worship, of sacrifice, to sacrifice what I already know is not mine to possess, to give back to you all that I am and have. I must trust and believe. You will provide all I need to make that special personal sacrifice, touching my family, my church, my friends, the world to yet reach for Christ. I'm so empty on this journey now, but I believe I will return full because you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. May this be our worship. May this be the place we are found in the midst of the unexpected of 2022. May we discover all that God has for us in those moments and rest in the fullness of the living hope he has given us. This is my gift. Let's pray. Father, in our hearts, we are prone to just lose hope, to lose focus, to lose a, a sense in the, the reality of your presence, to forget the power of your resurrection, to forget the power of your sustaining presence, to forget the power of your sustaining love. Lord, ground our hope deep in its roots into you, and may we find daily that living hope to be all that we need. We ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,